anyway. We are live, Joe. just DJ this song for the whole hour. We should just do a live yeah. set of this one jam. Yeah, add in some. There it is. Here, I could flip some knobs over here that you can't see. I could be like... was supposed to drop but it's just gonna keep phasering in and out Alrighty, i think we're all set here a lot of ins a lot of outs a lot of interested parties fam jacob v weekly a day late depending on who you ask right on time seconds in. I was panicked. I was hesitating. I didn't know exactly how to come into another episode of this podcast because like we talked about in the first couple episodes, it's so hard for me to go back and listen to things that happened before COVID started, even though Necessarily, this show isn't even about that, but our, our lives are kind of about that right now still. Um, and I feel that same way going in, like listening to last week's podcast as the election was still so seemingly uncertain, and now it seems to have been called uh, in one way or the other. Um, it's hard to know like when you would enjoy or like or like what to discuss because like so much crucial information is being updated so rapidly, like anything pre-COVID is noticeably so. Uh, and now it's like, is last week even relevant anymore? Now that the election's being called, it seems like Joe won, but the sitting president is feverishly tweeting accusations of literal fraud. So, you know, it's a weird, goofy time still. And I think one thing I feel now that the election is over is that, oh, it didn't solve anything. I mean, it doesn't even take effect yet, much less will the status quo really change. Um, and it certainly doesn't solve coronavirus in the meantime. Um, what realizations did you have today, Jake? Well, that was a lot of it, um, you know, and uh, some of that. And uh, we're going to we're gonna kind of, I want to wrap up kind of the election stuff and put it to bed. So I want to okay. put that stuff first in our itinerary for today. Right. Um, for example... Uh, we have some notes here, right? And here was my feeling is as the, I mean, last time we talked, I think the election had happened, but it was certainly not as clear as to who was going to win yet. We still had Nevada and Georgia and Pennsylvania and what's that other one? Oh, sorry. Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Those were kind of uh, hanging in the balance really late. I still don't think they've called Nevada as of this morning. We're filming this on a, on a no Thursday. Way. Are they still? Let me look. Like CNN hadn't called Nevada yet as of this morning when I checked. Nobody's so, really called the election yet. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. And so people are like really leaning Biden. But um, so we're going to talk about some of that. But because I want to get it out of the way, because I want to move on to things that have more to do with me. My money's still on Trump. Yeah, I mean, great. You know what I mean? Who knows? I mean, and that is upsetting when that is the case. Um, I don't think Trump probably wants to have to keep being president, but I th- really think he's going to litigate because anything funky um, litigation is kind of his love language anyway. He's been suing people for decades, often just to make a point he can afford it. Um, I think he sued Rosie O'Donnell when they were beefing in the tabloids back when I was like in the when Rosie O'Donnell had a career and like things like that. So I, you know, it's interesting to remember that she's still a person with a family. And so, like, to think about this guy that you, that used to call you a cow on TV every other week is, you know, in office. That's got to be frustrating. And, um, but I had Joe kind of look up some of the stuff that at least earlier this week that was still contentious because I, I didn't want to have to do it because it's not good for my mental health. But I wanted to make sure that we had some research into some of the stuff that was being accused. First Trump accusation we have here is that illegal immigrants had votes that were being counted, quote, up to... T- a hundred thousand of them. Um, we have a NPR article here. Oh, it's not a matter of guessing. It's a direct match, but they're unique numbers. To- okay. So they're talking about how they identify illegal um, immigrants on say a, a state ID or whatever. And um, there's not much evidence supporting that this was a, a significant uh, number of votes. Yeah. The reason I put that in there is because no, it's a great point. It, their system is, is good for identifying illegal yeah people. that's what that's referring yeah. to they have an ins indicator on their identification that makes it really easy to identify them in a voting capacity especially in states where that kind of id is necessary um to vote uh, we also had some accusations of illegal voter intimidation um videotaping philadelphia voters depositing their ballots in drop boxes um there's a New York Times article digging deeper into that. Uh, that was something that was contentious in the urban population centers, as they call them, um, on election on and around election day. I know that that was something that was being thrown around, and we're going to talk about how this plays into our conversation here in a minute. But there were also some recanted allegations. Some people, um, oh, a postal worker fabricated. Uh, what is that ballots in Pennsylvania? He fabricated the ballots or the. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, wait, wait, your postal on. worker admits to. I just I can't yeah. get it to. I'm streaming. I don't want to open a bunch of links. Yeah, yeah. Um, postal worker recanted allegations of ballot tampering. Yeah, so, so he was one of the he was one of the sources. One of that, the false flag dudes yeah. saying, you know, go tell it on the mountain. Here it is. So Richard Hopkins claim. Uh, Richie Hopkins. Yeah, Richard Hopkins is claim that a postmaster in Erie. Erie, PA, is that how you say that? Erie, Pennsylvania. Instructed postal workers to backdate ballots uh, mailed after Election Day was cited by Senator Lindsey O'Graham in a letter to the Justice Department calling for federal investigation. Um, But on Monday, Hopkins 32 told investigators from the U.S. Postal Postal Service's Office of Inspector General that the allegations were not true. Okay, so... Um, and again, a lot of these stories stem from the states that are highly divided in the, the diversity of their population and also states that were still pulling in late on uh, the reporting. For example, in Pennsylvania, Nevada, um, some votes in some places still being uh, counted or recounted as we're recording this. Um, but overall, 
I had a really legit secure feeling uh, and appearing experience. And, you know, I hope you did too. Um, and if you didn't, or if you did, that doesn't mean that um, there isn't some illegitimate voting that happened. But I think overall, uh, a lot of that is going to be more negligence than malice, number one. And I don't think the fraud would change the outcome of the election. Even if we determined that there was any, I don't think that, um, I think the legit votes on their own have Biden winning by enough. Because every one of these articles that I dove into today about uh, the voting, it seemed like it would only affect a small enough number of votes. And now Biden is in the lead by such in all those states that... It doesn't seem like it could go the other way. Now, there are some people saying that Trump has a path to victory still, and I'd love to see them um, work on that and pursue whatever they got to do. And I'm not anti-lawsuit or anything, but even if there were some of these situations of uh, voter fraud, it's not the same percentage that it's taking up in the media space. That's for sure. Yeah. I think think Trump has a lot to be, you know, proud of because I think – I was saying before, I mean, the Biden, the Biden voting campaign, even that that didn't have Biden, Biden's hands on it, I mean, was so huge. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we talked about this, like, I mean, the Avengers, you know. Oh, that comparison, uh, the say you're talking about the sensationalization and the partisanship that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Right. Like, it's just so (coughs) overwhelming. And so I just not only did I you know, imagine a clean win. But I mean, I think Trump should be proud of the fact that, I mean, it was pretty close. I mean, it's, it's not, it's half of America's president. I mean, it, it's half. I mean, it's 49. It's so hard. Yeah. When you look yeah. at the numbers, uh, you know, Trump is approaching 73 million votes and Biden is 70 something million. Yeah. I mean, they're, the it's two, so close. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's safe enough to say they're the two most voted for presidents, you know, uh, elected in history. You know, yeah. In history. The, yeah. I mean, Biden got the most votes of any president in history and Trump got the second. So more right. people voted, which is great. You know, we have, you know, mixed feelings about if you don't want to vote, I don't think you should vote, but I'm glad so many people voted. Right. I am glad that people chose to vote because it's not easy to vote. And it's even harder, I think, to do a legit mail in vote situation. Because you got to apparently here you got to request them and they got to mail them to you and then you got to get it notarized. Like I'd rather just go to the school up the street and vote when I'm supposed to vote. Right. And I mean, four p like uh, sorry, four years ago, people my age at the time, like they had no idea how to vote. You know, mail in vote. I mean, it was to them and it was such a complicated process. Now, I mean, there was so much overwhelming information out there available on Facebook, on Twitter. I mean, it was so well, easy and that's to like what we were talking year. about a minute ago is that overall now um we have so much more information all the time. We get so much of it involuntarily um and it's always changing. And right now, I'm sorry, no matter whose side of what you're on, our quality of life has taken such a hit. I'm wearing a mask to go pick up something from a friend's house. I'm not, you know, I, if you know me, me not going into a restaurant is such a huge deal. It's my favorite thing to do and not being able to go and get my nine diet Cokes and my extra ranch anywhere I choose is hard. So, um, the, the administration in place right now had that working against them that whole time, even if none of it's their fault and it is some kind of a hoax or something, uh, if that's something that you believe, um, certainly not my way of thinking, but uh, it's still, you know what, I'm suffering and it's hard. Yeah. And I mean, it was the same, 
we, we talked about this. It was the same establishment that voted Trump in in the first and place. And this is where I wanted to go with this, is that, um, you know, Joe probably won. Joe's probably winning. And that's still not enough. That's still not good enough. He's um he's not my guy. If we go back to the primaries, I donated to a couple of candidates. Neither one of them were him. Yeah. And uh, but this election popularized that conversation about the toxicity of the establishment and how uh and I just, I just think it's so important to notice how candidates can do that. Like I like I said, I donated to a couple different candidates um because the candidacy is not just about obtaining that office. Often it doesn't have to be about that office at all. Like Jill Stein in 20, oh, was that 2016? Did she even really think that her campaign was going to be the one to shatter the binary partisan paradigm? Like probably not. Uh, but a party represents a collection of values and priorities. Um, for her, it was the environment for Gary Johnson. It's Liberty for, you know, Andrew Yang, it was UBI, you know, universal basic income. And um, he didn't really need to win to be successful either. Andrew Yang uh, accomplished this message, and he's totally right. Like, yeah. our economy is going to outgrow more and more of us as we optimize productivity, especially with technology. And it's a luxury to have these innovations, but the consequence is going to continue to be that the uneducated or unskilled or inessential population, which could very well be the two of us, um, is going to be left rotting in poverty if we don't plan for that transition. It's already started where we took all these manufacturing jobs overseas, whether it's China or Korea or you know all over the world, people are making stuff to send other places, except for here so much anymore. And the people that used to really only be fit for those kind of jobs only feel comfortable and successful in those kind of jobs they don't they're trying to make it work elsewhere and it's not working for a lot of them. So we're already here, right? It's already starting and it's only going to get worse. I mean, McDonald's probably makes more sense as one big giant robot. Do people even really need to touch the food in a place like that? Yeah. You know, I think in Silicon Valley there's the pizza place that is completely automated and they yeah. show how it makes, you know, the pizzas and I mean, if you look at the app and you think about what robots can do now, it, the right corporation invests in in putting those two things together. Um, you know, you could automate much of everything. My buddy and I were talking about it over the weekend. Uh, there were people, I guess there were people working near where he was working or something like that. And I mean, they were paid to do two weeks of work that only take them, that only takes them about 10 hours. They knocked it out in about 10 hours. So what they do is they, and this is across the board, according to him is pretty standard, you know, and, and obviously there are, you know, jobs that take a lot longer, but like for whatever reason, this is a job that, you know, they had to put in the bid for two weeks of work and it took them 10 hours. So they have to go to the job site every day and clock in and then they just leave or they just, or they just hang out on the, um, on the job site. And so it's not, I wouldn't say this isn't me proclaiming that we have lazy workers in the industry. It just, it, and it makes sense to me that they have to put in a bid for 10 hours of work because of if it takes that much manpower, the number of people you have to pay and just the way it works, I'm sure just, I'm sure it makes sense, but it's just something to realize that you know, business is an entirely other organism. Well, you know? and it, and it's not necessarily even the business's fault because of the nature of our 
constant exponential growth as a requirement in our economy it just doesn't make sense like at some point you know a an explosion of innovation and and free market um growth and development in a certain area should transition to um a more permanent sustainable role now for example um electricity is not an aggressively private thing like it could be it's not like the internet where AT&T and Charter are fighting for my business all the time, or Spectrum, or whatever they go by now. And, you know, we have um, our one option for electricity here, and it's regulated and subsidized as a utility so that, you know, we all have kind of equal access to it. Now, I have to pay for it, but I don't have to, you know, I'm not constantly getting priced out by competitive uh, companies for that. The internet should probably go that way, but you also don't necessarily want the internet to be a state-owned thing uh, exclusively, you know, for freedom. Yeah, you don't want to privatize. For freedom. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to... You don't, I feel like power... For freedom. Though they're easily corruptible still in the government, it's like trying to privatize water or something. I want to go wrap myself in my Kanye West 2020 flag when I, <laughs> when I say freedom. Freedom. You want to talk about freedom. Yeah, I you know, and something that really bugs me. This is this is kind of on topic and kind of not. I you know, I took an accounting class, and in the accounting class, we all go ahead. We also have to. Uh, did you make that sound recording yourself? Uh no, that's a that's a dragon snarling, 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 oh. snarling. You're saying you're taking a class? Yeah, so I'm taking a. You know, you know what's funny about that sound is that I, when I imagine them, I'm like, well, they had to find a dragon, and they had it's probably to, like a horse with a bunch of reverb, right? Anyway, so I'm taking this. I know you think it's actually kind of becoming quite demeaning, actually. I just it's on a loop. <laughs> I had to turn it off. <laughs> So I'm taking this accounting class and they we have they make us watch videos about business ethics. And you know, they're kind of going okay at one point. So there are different, you know, it's like situations like somebody taking uh you know, stapler from the office or somebody like though it's available to you, it's unethical. Nobody's really going to call you out for it, but it's just unethical. But then at some point, like the little penny try at the gas station Right, or yeah. a quarter in a phone booth. But, like, you know, you go to... They get, it gets to a point where it says, so somebody can't complete a project on time because he has a serious... He's either taken on too many projects or he has something going on at home. And the guy's clearly stressed out, and she comes to him. And, you know, they, they had, like, a woman as the boss, so she comes to him, and she's like... You know, you should have, you shouldn't have taken that on if you couldn't have done it. You shouldn't have, which I can get that in a certain sense. But then again, I, I get really frustrated because at the same time, a business can kind of fire you on the spot for anything. And it happens. And even if they think it's unethical, that one situation is unethical. It's like, it's, I think it should be totally fine if somebody, you know, you, you move up, you, that shouldn't be something they teach in ethics because, I think you move up in a company based on, you know, based on whether or not you get the job done. So you're going to be 
paid hopefully accordingly. So that that should be enough to hurt you. That's Not- assuming a lot. I see a lot of language in the workforce of we are required to do this. So that is what happens. Like there's a lot of bare minimum happening in um, people's relationships with their employers, just as a generalization, which I know is dangerous. I'm not going to get more specific, but I mean, I totally hear what you're saying and that that's a, um, just a overall, like, so going back to like Andrew Yang, like that was his thing is I had never thought about that. I never thought about, Oh, universal basic income is a solution for our professionally redundant population. And I'm okay calling them that because I may very well be one of those people. I do not know. And Trump's candidacy was wild. I, you know, I wish I was paying more attention when it was happening in the primaries in 2016, but um, I didn't think it was viable, so I didn't think it was important. And I think a lot of us made that mistake of not taking it seriously, even when he was their candidate. And then even when he was leading the night of the election on all the things, I was like, nah, they're, they're counting those big states first. It'll be fine or whatever, you know? Um, but I think the the reason we started writing this down in the show prep, Joe, is because, you know, I asked you this the other day. It's like, it's so curious to think about why did the establishment let it happen? That was what this last candidacy really taught me uh, of both candidates, really, is the role that the establishment plays. And, and Trump very obviously uh, struggles with the establishment. And I think that's a part of his... Um, unpopular uh, unpopularity with some of his peers maybe is that um being you know an outsider but kind of in a way that's disruptive um but that when you see bernie get screwed twice by the dnc and you learn oh there's the corporate democrats the dnc the mainstream status quo democrats and then there's you know people like myself that are typically guys who live in the forest much farther left than that um and and so on. So seeing that with Hillary the first time, it's like, okay, you know what? They screwed Bernie for Hillary, but everyone's been joking about Hillary running for president forever. And when we thought she was going to win and we thought that maybe that was a good idea, uh, some of us or whatever. Um, and then we learned that we were wrong and uh, about all those things. And then they do it again. Bernie comes around again, and you know I voted for him. He was my guy, even though I had also donated money to Andrew Yang because I wanted him to stay in the conversation. And then both of them, you know, get blocked out by you know the establishment corpse in Biden. You know, I mean, it's weekend at Bernie's. The DNC just with their you know hand up the corpse's ass, making it talk. But you know, he seems sweet. I don't know. I really liked him in 2016. I really wish he had ran then. But it's just so it's so obvious that um, that part of the system is rigged against people that are not a part of the establishment. And then now thinking about, well, wait a minute. So we see so obviously they 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 blocked Bernie so hard, probably his whole career, probably not just the last two times he ran for the office of the presidency. But um, so think about, OK, so they they screwed him so hard and so publicly and so unapologetically, like really just kind of stacked the deck against him and didn't really let his movement represent the the main uh, financial element of, of the DNC. And I don't think he even thinks he would belong there, but that when it's a binary system, that's the choice. Wait, how did Hillary get so far in the first election? Why wasn't he the 
oh, there was like, I'm not, we, we sh- you should probably look this I'm up. Looking at it. Um, not right now for, it's a, it's a deep read, but there was even like a lady that was dirty at the DNC, um, that was like in Hillary's camp or something in 2016. The whole thing was a big scandal and it was, but I, I think we thought it was a one-time thing. And then I thought Bernie had more momentum this time without Hillary in his way. Bernie. Yeah. Bernie had more yeah. momentum this time without Hillary in his way. And and I think he started that radical conversation about health care four years ago, saying that, you know, the Affordable Care Act was not enough. Which is why so it's so frustrating that... And yeah, then that narrative grew. It became such a... I have been saying for my whole adult life how essential healthcare is and how terrified I am of not having health coverage. Like that's been a driving force Absolutely. in my adult life. And for Bernie to make it a public conversation that, Hey, so many other people are also struggling with this insecurity. And then for that to survive to another term for him physically, because he's so old. And then the, the narrative to survive to another um, election cycle, I thought was great for the, again, think of the candidacy as a message for the cause Right. Even if all the none of these dudes were relevant, now we talk about um, UBI and uh, and healthcare in a way that um, we never did. You know what I mean? And we could go on about that all day. But Trump's candidacy was wild because I didn't understand what it was for. I mean, it really seemed like he was there to troll in 2016, troll the other Republican primaries. You know, I mean, and to the point where I even get the SNL skits from the day mixed up with. What actually happened? Like at one point, I keep remembering that he called Jeb Bush Jebra, but I think that was actually on Saturday Night Live that the impersonator did such a thing. Um, I forget what Daryl Hammond maybe was doing Trump at the at the time, and but that's really how it was. And like apparently, tons of conservatives loved Marco Rubio, and they are they love Ted Cruz. If the the older, more evangelical side really loved Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio had that kind of um, young, hip kind of vibe that an element of the RNC really uh, uh, liked. Um, you had the Bush dynasty coming in for a victory lap. That I thought that was going to be more viable than it was. I didn't know Jeb was going to be so boring. And then you said this guy calling everyone names, and then Marco, little Marco, and they got into the name calling, and that's when Marco kind of couldn't hold his own. He kind of fell off. I mean... That was wild because most of these candidacies, especially the people I get really interested in, I see their their mission for the office as a message um, that is more important to them than the office itself because they're not going to give up on those causes. But so I keep looking at Trump and I'm like, what was his point really other than her emails and Benghazi and um, why did the establishment let it happen? They let him get as far as he did. They let him beat out all their other um pocket puppets or whatever in in both parties they let him win they let him live they let him almost get really close to winning a second time i don't know the play i don't understand exactly what the plan is and why they let him stay in place unless you really look at what we know now about dick cheney for example and and i'm sure there were thousands of other examples throughout different administrations in history but the people behind the office really pulling the strings and that's the establishment and that's the the people that are um they let Trump draw the, all the attention away from them. I mean, Trump makes Mitch McConnell look boring when, you know, if you just compare Mitch McConnell to his peers, he's probably an evil figure, right? Or, or a really unpleasant one. So, um, 
the real message I got out of this last election process was the the real um, publishing of uh, how powerful and rigid and um, faceless the the establishment really is, and how um, we have this kind of illusion of normalcy coming with you know the zombie and and Mama Kamala who's going to put us all in prison. Yeah, I just you know when I really I'm okay th- with when I really think about what the people want, it doesn't make any sense that Biden got us because it's not about what the people want, and that's so frustrating. No, and- it was so reactive. Instead, then that's the thing I work on all the time is trying in my life to respond instead of reacting. Because when I react, like you just you just re- like I might just slap you. You know what I mean? Because I'm, re- I'm like, oh my god, I'm scared, and I slap you. Whereas opposed to. Uh, <laughs> this is very complicated. You know, well, are as opposed to just responding like, okay, so I'm going to interpret the signal, right. whatever that signal is, whatever you're saying to me, I'm going to interpret it. And then I'm going to think about how I want to respond in a way that is effective for what I'm trying to communicate. That's a response. It's level-headed. It's calculated. Whereas um, a reaction is just immediate and impulsive. So go on. You were saying. I forgot. Good, because I what, forgot, but my mic was falling. What Do you think that uh, people's lives were on the line with this election? Do you think that uh, it was a matter of life or death? Well, that's the thing, is I don't feel like we're any safer. Right. At least and not yet. Yeah. And I mean, I and agree. I don't know what safer would be. And then you have our, you know, Missouri governor got reelected, but we never really elected him the first time. The guy that I didn't vote for the first time got, like, arrested and booted out of office, so... You know, Parsons took over as the lieutenant governor, and then now we got actually elected, which is crazy because I thought we didn't like him. Um, but it goes to show what I know. And now they're loosening um, the state's recommendation on COVID restrictions. But then, like the CDC is like, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay with what we were doing. And so now it's like inconsistent, like across even the state like official level. Apparently, we don't have a statewide mask mandate here. And I totally get the argument for not wanting to do that. I think it's a little weird that you haven't gotten over that part of it yet. Um, The part of not wanting to, because I totally get not wanting to have to tell people what to do. But it's so many months in, and it's so bad. I mean, it's just, it's. I feel like the virus is a, a, a boa constrictor wrapping its body around my entire life. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I just don't feel like that. Well, I think it's our experiences with, oh, (laughs) but also like when I'm, I mean, just in my work experience, what I'm seeing in schools is not viable. What I'm seeing, um, you know, in fast food restaurants, I mean, drive-through service is so hit or miss right now. And it's funny to point out, but I mean, just, I mean, the, just the nature of life is so different right now. It's so frustrating because those people who's, yeah, I mean, a lot of people's jobs who were not supposed to be so uh, heavy volume is now super heavy volume. Well, and I think they just had this staffing problem because, I mean, if you could make – they were making more money on unemployment. Why am I going to go – why am I going to get up at 6 a.m. to go work at a McDonald's when I – you know, when unemployment was subsidized the way it was? Um, so that's the question that I'm kind of lingering on out of the election is the whole thing when you zoom out um, – and look at all of those factors is where I ended up is I'm just trying to figure out what they were trying to distract us from. And maybe they were trying to, you know, maybe the 
relevancy of the office of the president has been completely gutted. Maybe it's an office that really only matters to people over a certain age. And because uh, they, they were around when it used to actually mean something, but I think it's over. Um, I think we really need to start paying attention to everyone beneath that person because they're really just the face and um, the mouthpiece for themselves. I mean, how many leaks and, and um, stories of dissent do we hear about from, you know, behind closed doors of people that are like refusing to do things that um, their, their higher ups are asking them to do. I mean, it's everyone is that divided. So, um, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out. Describe that situation. I'm trying to figure out what all we can learn from how crazy and sensationalized the political sphere has been for so many years now. And I mean, I really think, um, that this is a a great point for people to realize that, oh, it's not one or two or even a dozen people that are their problem. It's this fabric that's woven into these um, organizations and these establishments and uh, really trying to figure out what parts of those roles in our lives we can improve. So maybe that's less in some cases and maybe that's more in others. Maybe some things need to be removed from the free market like we were talking about and made utilities, things like healthcare or on the internet or whatever. Um, and then maybe also we need less government in places where kind of they're creating problems, maybe like guaranteeing um, student loans. And so, you know, university tuition costs uh, explode, you know, by thousands of percent. So like those are things that like there's different pla- – you need government in different places. And I think we need to, as a society, start making more decisions about um, how we want our tax dollars and our energy as a society to be spent. Right. You know what I mean? Like maybe I need a little more government backup with my healthcare and maybe I need a little less government backup on, on, you know, prohibiting the use of, um, recreational, uh, naturally occurring substances. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can we trade a little bit of this for a little bit of that? For example, can I trade a little bit of my tax dollars that go to military surplus? And can I maybe move those over and make that a little more, um, towards you know whatever your issue is the environment or healthcare or um agriculture whatever but i mean i think as a society at the local level and then all the way up the ladder we need to start reevaluating some of those things do we still need to the the defense budget we do when we have the technology and the geopolitical kind of standing that we do currently are we still spending like it's 2001 cuz we killed a lot of those people a lot of those people that we were going after in 2001 are all dead now um, a quarter of a million uh, civilians along with them, you know what I mean? And, and countless of our own service people. But I mean, I don't think we need the trillions in military spending every year when, you know, there's people that are uh, starving to death in the street and overdosing on uh, uh, a combination of meth and, and dirty heroin in a tent under a bridge. I feel like it's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty opinion to those people who have that kind of power to say, we're not going to give the military this much money. So it's like... It's and I of- think you could do it smart. I think we could taper it. I'm not even saying we have to eliminate people that are currently enrolled in service. I'm saying you slowly taper off enrollment. Maybe you raise the stakes a little bit. 
because maybe we don't need to just let anybody enlist that wants to enlist. Maybe we raise the standard a little bit so we take on a little less people over a decade. And over that decade, we we take the money that we were going to spend on those recruits that we no longer care to hire because maybe we don't need that many people in boots on the ground anymore because of drones and whatnot. And then we take that money over that 10 or 20 years and we start moving it to sectors where we're, we don't have enough money, education and health and um, green energy, whatever your thing is, whatever your thing is, make those decisions, vote on those things. But I just don't think that's unrealistic. I think we could still be a nuclear superpower and take a 10% gradual uh, right sizing out of our military budget and dedicate those billions of dollars to better things. Am I nuts? Right. right Am I right. nuts? Right. But what I'm saying though is kind of like, it depends on like, if you think of America as a tribe, freedom, you know, over, you know, like if we're like a tribe around other tribes, the one with the best. That's a dragon military. named freedom. That freedom's name is dragon. dragon that dragon's freedom. name is. You were saying freedom. That's the thing about America is freedom. Right. That's it. Yeah. It's just like some people believe that we really need a strong government that we're up against. And I, I, but I'm saying is like, I mean, everything is just set up in a way. Everyone is just fighting so hard to retain budget all the time that at the, across the board at every single level, no one's really looking at how can we make the budget, um, in every single area, how can we make each of those individual budgets a little healthier so they don't have to be so choked out and competitive? And so that maybe, you know, um, we make those decisions in a better way. But part of that is a lot of those jobs we're talking about phasing out are government jobs with really high quality, top notch benefits. And those benefits are priceless. When you look at what I net cash every week, it's, you know, you would never think that I would actually do what I do and how hard it is for that amount of cash every week, but that's nothing compared to the, um, the benefits and stuff. You can't buy the kind of insurance privately on your own as a citizen with your preexisting conditions that, um, some of us can get when we work for a public type of organization, you know what I mean? And that's just crazy. Because uh, I think it draws people to certain jobs that maybe they don't actually want or maybe they don't actually care about. We went on very eloquently there for several minutes, but uh, we lost about nine minutes of our episode when uh, trying to finalize in OBS. Um, so, you know, a little behind the scenes there, but uh, we will be back with more content very, very, very shortly. Thank you for joining us for another week of Jacob V Weekly. Share us wherever you listen to us iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You can also find original music by Jacob V on all of those platforms. Join us next week. Thanks again.